Hello there and welcome to Community Life. Here we talk with community experts about their life journeys and learn from each other. And today we have a conversation with Sofia Rodriguez Mata, Mario Party, and not only superstar, a super calm and confident speaker, and an expert who's been in community space since 2013, and just an amazingly nice person to talk to who searches for moments when someone's eyes lit up in conversations. So, hello, Sophia. Hello, you did your research and I'm so excited to be here. I have to do the wave. <laughs> Yay, let's do it. Totally, I, I still have this photo, you know, so I still have this oh, photo yes. of four of us <laughs> waving and it's like near near my desk, so totally. And I read that you are an ultimate spark finder. So tell me more about that. An automated pathfinder. I wonder that might have been, do you remember if it was something related with a presentation or a session at Salesforce or another company? Yeah, it was at Salesforce, an ultimate spark finder. I believe it's about spark in eyes. Hmm. I don't remember. That's how far back you went. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, tell me more about why do you love talking to people and what is crucial point for you in those conversations? Mm -hmm. I am incredibly fascinated by what made a person become who they are in the moment that I'm speaking to them. I think there's a lot you can learn from moving past the the niceties the superficial you know elevator chats that we have with people where you ask how are you i'm good how are you i'm fine you know <laughs> it's when you move past that really like what you're doing in this in your podcast in your show and having real conversations with people that i feel that you not only learn the motivations of a person but you also take away something from their life journey. And I know it's something that you and I talked about at Community Rebellion. Like there is so much that you can learn from a person who has lived 50 years, 70 years, 20 years, because you're gaining their years of experiences um, just from short conversations. And I just love being able to break past the point where you move from a very I want to say transactional, like very superficial conversation to really diving deep and getting to know an individual for who they are. And how do you do that? Because I always, you know, when I have like five, 10 minutes conversation, it's always hard to jump like into the weeds. And for another person, it's hard to open because like we've just met, can I trust you? So how mm -hmm. do you build this connection? It's very difficult. And I'll, I'll share with you that for me going into the type of environment that you're referring to, like, let's say you're going to a class or a conference or you're meeting someone at the supermarket. It's not the right environment. And for myself, I'm also, I have a lot of anxiety. So when I talk to people, I have to fight that urge in me to just go back, go back into myself. So I think a, a big part of this has to do with the environment that you're in and the sort of setting that you're putting with the person. Um, it's something that I learned while I was in university. I was really involved in student programs. And one of our facilitators had this activity where you had a series of questions and the questions would always go from light questions to much mm. deeper questions. So to give you an idea, it would be something like, uh, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite type of chocolate? And then he would come around and he would say, all right, everyone, we're done with those questions. Now we're going to go into the next level. Mm. And then the next level of questions might be something like, what's the first meal that you remember your father cooking for you? Or mm. have you ever moved to another country? And then eventually you get to like a very deep level and you've had the prompts to allow yourself to go into that space of thinking where you are being very open and vulnerable. And the questions would turn into something like, 
what's your happiest memory? What's the most traumatic thing that has ever happened to you? And that last question is very intense because people go through a lot of trauma, but I think what helps is having the, the guide, you know, being allowed to, even if it's just us two saying like, I'm going to have a conversation with you where I'm asking you to be open and be vulnerable. Is that okay with you? And you have Mm -hmm. the permission of the person. And then you have those, I think, exploratory questions um, because the people love to talk about themselves, but I think people don't always get the opportunity to talk about what really matters, like what's really at their core. What really matters for you? Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I really care about living a life that I am at peace with. And I've used the word peace a lot because I think there's always changes in life and there's things that you can't control. There might be a natural disaster. There might be something around you where a loved one passes away and there's things outside of your control, but there are things that you and I do have control over. And I think a lot about the decisions that I make and are they decisions that will bring me peace, that I feel aligned to my values. And that relates a lot to, you know, my loved ones, my family, my friends, uh, giving back to my local community, helping others. But I think it's really at the core, it's a very selfish thing. Is it is it just, do I feel like I am making decisions that align with who I am and my values. And how do you feel that? How do I feel it? Um, I've gotten into the habit of asking myself questions either before I go to sleep Mm -hmm. or when I wake up in the morning. So I do a lot of reflection in my life. And it's not something that uh, I used to do all the time. It's, I would say, more recent of the past five years or so where I moved from, I would say, not being such a reflective person to being a person who is more self-aware. And as we were talking earlier about this, I think it's also the the discipline, the repetition of doing things daily, Mm -hmm. that it's turned into something that now I do every day and it's a way to check in with myself. And do you check in mentally or do you write something? Do you do do some kind of journaling? Yeah, I I wish I could journal. Uh, It's really, I'm laughing because one of my teachers when I was much younger gave feedback to my parents and said, I think Sophia would really benefit from writing things down in a journal, like her feelings. (laughs) And I never did it. I'm just, I'm not a writer. I don't keep to-do list. Um, It's always in my head. So I always check in mentally. And what is your favorite question to ask people? Do you have this question or maybe there are few questions? I don't have a favorite question, but I think there's a lot you can get from the secondary questions. So someone will, you might ask something along the lines of, tell me about your siblings. And then someone will share a memory or they'll talk about who they are. And you follow up with, and why was it that you were in this amusement park? Or why was it that you remember this particular memory? And I think it's the the digging deeper questions that are my favorite, where you really get to learn more. Um, and it really is just more of the, I think you're an observer, you're a listener. So you're really listening attentively to what they're saying to you. Do you have any psychological background? I don't. <laughs> I think it's a very interesting um, field of study, but I don't. Have you ever thought about having one, about getting one? I thought about it. Um, one of my aunts is actually a psychiatrist. And mm-hmm. so I think it's one of the jobs that I was exposed to when I was really young. You're usually exposed to what people around you do. Um. Yeah, maybe you know you're making me think that maybe a certification or a course or a class would be would be interesting. I love learning, so even if it's uh, a course or going to a class or doing an online degree, I just love the act of learning. Okay, if you find something interesting, please share it with me. I will, <laughs> because I also have no ideas about that, but I would love to learn more because I understand that that's 
helps a lot and you know all our life depends on other people mm-hmm. mostly and to understand how they work you know because we are all machines and to understand how these machines works yes. i believe it's really interesting <laughs> yeah and anthropology and ethics and cross-cultural communication like all of those um fields of study, I think also help us improve as professionals. So absolutely. If you find something, you tell me and I'll tell you if I find something. Got it. Deal. So <laughs> is there one switch game you keep playing over and over again? I love that you did your research. Um, the one that I'm most playing right now, and it's it's something where I'm playing every single day. That's how bad it is. <laughs> It's uh, from the Legend of Zelda video game series, and the new one is called Tears of the Kingdom. And if you're not familiar with it, or if someone listening in isn't familiar with it, it's a series. Yes, you are! And you have Hyrule Warriors. I love that one, too. And by the way, (laughs) Hyrule Warriors, I just got yesterday, Mm -hmm. and my kid keep playing for the second day already. And it was because of I was preparing for our mm-hmm. conversation and I saw it oh, on your in, uh, or your Twitter. I was like, oh my God, I need to have it. And I immediately <laughs> ordered it. And Does he like this, it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's really nice. And mm-hmm. Tears of the Kingdom is the second one. So mm-hmm. that's why I asked you. And please keep telling, keep giving me all spoilers. <laughs> well, I hope you like it. It's... um. It's funny because when you talk to people who are hardcore gamers, they always talk about like PlayStation, Sega, having a Steam and just playing games like Diablo 4. (laughs) And I've always been just a Nintendo player. And a lot of these games are about the story and the mechanics. And I think if you've played the Legend of Zelda games, you know that one of the original games was very difficult. It didn't give you much guidance or instructions so part of the fun was that you had to figure it out Mm -hmm. and I actually think video games is part of the reason why I got into community building because Mm. when you would get stuck and you could go online you would search through um, answers and discussions from other players and then that builds little communities and groups and forums and guilds and I think part of that magic of Having to find a solution and relying on people really comes from games like The Legend of Zelda. Did you find all the shrines and uh, side quests in Breeze of the Wild? I did. I'm a complete completionist, uh, so I will find every single thing. <laughs> did you do it yourself? No. Um, it, it got to a point where as much as I was walking around, there's just some puzzles that I think you overthink it too much. And there's actually very simple solutions. So I definitely went online to uh, look at what other players were doing. Because at one point I, I gave up and I just downloaded <laughs> the map of all shrines and I went to this I believe it was Zelda fandom or something like that and just went through every side quest. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know that you can buy a house there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. It, like, it, it's a fighting game. What house? What are you talking about? But yeah, like, and I believe there are so much, so many quests in this uh, Tears of the Kingdom too. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And that's one of the, I think, really amazing things about the direction that they went to with Breath of the Wild is it used to be very linear and a fighting game and just a here's the main point of the game. You have to rescue Zelda or you have to rescue a townspeople and you do it. And with these games being open world and having different mechanics where you can control items or you can go to shrines and solve puzzles in their dungeons, it makes it the type of game where you... You, you can't explore and it's not just a fighting game. It can be a game where, are you bad with spoilers? Can I spoil something for you? Yeah, I can easily, no worries. <laughs> so you were excited that you could build a, you could get a home in the first game. In the second game, you can actually design your house. So you get to move around the rooms. 
And so there's people that play purely because they love cooking or they like playing, they like building their house or they just like collecting the corex, like the little seats. I think it's, it's so fascinating to probably be a video game designer or um, the person who creates the game and have to figure out like, how do I make it? So the screen is never loading and someone is fully immersed in this experience. And again, it kind of goes back to us planning events or creating communities for people. We're always asking ourselves, how can I create an experience that is immersive for our members and our people? You know, while you were talking, this creative thought popped up in my mind. And I can imagine that one day we'll have all our VR sets mm -hmm. and we'll be out there in the Zelda world and talking to each other and fighting with monsters and cooking and decorating our houses. Something like it was in the movie Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. But I can imagine like this, the next step of... And I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You're making me think of um, the movie Wally, -E, and there's also a Black Mirror episode about like yeah. immersive, scary gaming. Um, yeah, it's it's a trip thinking of the future and what's possible. And you know, we also were talking about your doc, and I just now understood that Mifa. Mm -hmm. That you named her dog because of one of characters of Zelda. <laughs> yeah, one of the champions. I the stories are always very silly. Like they're very their stories are meant to relate to children, but I think also adults. But mm. the storyline of Mifa having a younger brother and really living her life and in, in love and honor and duty is one that I really loved. And so when we adopted this puppy I just it's like the first I couldn't come up come up with another name it was just Mifa and it's funny we always get the the funniest reactions from people when we go to a park and when we're walking her and they're like Mifa that's <laughs> unique <laughs> and you're like oh I understand you are not Zelda player yeah like no. <laughs> <laughs> it's by the way it's a good filter you know Because mm -hmm. if somebody like, oh, me, oh, me, let's me, talk fa. about it. <laughs> yeah, they get it. And then it's like you're in into having that conversation. Absolutely. And because if you all talk about like link, people like, okay, mm -hmm. so what link? What website mm -hmm. are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then people always think that Zelda is actually Link. They switch around the names. What was yeah. your favorite character? Uh, I don't know. I, I've never thought about that, but mm -hmm. if you are asking, uh, I would say Link. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, easy question. But, We all love him. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just thinking about all those uh, other heroes, because mm -hmm. some of those are shy, some of those are like super self-confident, some of those are like super powerful and uh, I was thinking okay so I feel like I feel like closer to Link even mm -hmm. though he is not like super like superhero like you know mm -hmm. and he, uh, for example in the Breeze of Wild he has to uh, find all those superpowers and you keep uh, keep developing so I feel like I'm going through his journey. So starting from like with no clothes, almost no clothes, you just keep developing until the moment you can defeat Han Ganon. Mm -hmm. So I can really much relate to this journey. Yeah. And I think they made it that way on purpose. Like he's never spoken because he, you're supposed to be able to see yourself in him as you're playing. And so it makes absolute sense that you feel like you're going in this journey yourself. Yeah, and it's it's really nice because uh, when I'm thinking about video games, like not every video game, but for example about Zelda, so it really it really allows you to you know go to this world and like mm -hmm. anything anything around kind of not exists, so you're only there and you're doing some stuff, you're talking to some kind of talking to some mm -hmm. heroes, and but yeah, it's. It's how it works, and yeah. Yeah. 
Tears of the Kingdom is the second. Is the, okay, it will be the third, the third purchase. I believe we will finish this Hyrule Warriors, mm -hmm. which is slightly different because mostly there you are mostly fighting, at least yes. at the, in the beginning. I don't know if it will be the same uh, closer, but you are just fighting and fighting. And I believe that's exactly why my kid loves this game because <laughs> just just fighting and fighting and fighting and defeating mm -hmm. like bunches of monsters. Like, oh yeah, I'm so I'm so cool. But yeah, yeah. It, it feels like that. It is a. I think it's my favorite story. So far, though, I haven't finished the third one, but if you do play the Hyrule Warriors, you get more of a happy ending than you do with the first one. I'll leave it there. Okay. Okay, <laughs> because we, 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 we had this conversation with Mikey. Okay, so if it's like 100 before, mm -hmm. we would be like, we are, we are going to lose. You know, we can't change anything, but I thought that they might have added something. So, yeah, yeah thank you very much for the spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sophia, so let's start from the beginning. Tell me about your parents. Who are they? Oh, my parents. My parents are, I would say, absolutely outstanding individuals. And I know that children often have this image of their parents. I think you always grow up looking up to them, thinking they're the smartest and the best. But I think now that I am more of my own person, more of an adult, I can almost objectively say that they are really outstanding people. Um, I think a lot of who I am, I get from them. And they're very similar in some ways, but also opposite extremes. Mm. Um, I think they share ambition passion and intellect as people, um, but they show it in different ways. My father's the type of person who anything he reads, anything he sees, it's like immediately stored in his brain. And so I always think of him as my like encyclopedia, like my Google, because anything I ask, he's like, he knows about it and he talks about it. And he's very much like a, a teacher or a philosopher when he's having conversations with you. He's explaining things in that way you might not always get a direct answer but you're getting um a full answer it's very like exploratory and my mom is someone who she's so creative uh she shows this in the ways that um our home is set up if she's inviting people over if she's creating events they're always the most like creative and elaborate experiences that you'll ever see and she's also someone who, who never gives up. She's incredibly resilient. She's very strong. And um, we, we tease her a little bit because she kind of has this catchphrase where she's like, challenge yourself, challenge yourself. <laughs> um, but it's absolutely true. She's someone who just, she never gives up. And they've both gone through a lot in their lives. But the fact that they are standing, they're good people and they do good just... Um, I have the most respect for them, and they're just amazing people. How did your mother challenge herself recently? Recently? Um, I actually, I think there's a really good example with, um, she, not too recently, but she did complete her bachelor's degree in child development a while back, and that's something I really admired that she went back to school at her mm. age and she was very open to not just learning but also giving back to other students and helping them but a smaller example that's actually very recent and you know this because you saw her at uh, the trip is I'm just always so impressed by her ability to navigate the world even if the world isn't set up for her. You know, we mm -hmm. went to three different countries. We did not know the language. We had to do a lot of um, charades and just talking to people and being unafraid. And it's something where I'm very aware. And sometimes I, I don't take the leap, but she's a go-getter. She'll go talk to this person. If they don't want to talk to her, she'll go to the next person. And she just does not give up. And she's so brave in that. What did she share with you 
during that time you were at the conference. So she definitely explored mm -hmm. the new city. So what did she share with you, like after the day first, after the day second? Mm. I think we shared the experience. Something that she actually mentioned was, you know, it's one thing to travel the world by yourself you can do it you can get on a flight you can get on a train and you can go to new cities and meet people but the fact that we were together we were creating an experience and a memory and yeah. that almost is more important than i don't want to say more important than the beautiful sights and the great people that we met but it's that's something that stays with you you know And you can always go back to these memories and mm -hmm. you can always have somebody to talk to about it. And Exactly. Yeah. And did your father know all answers to every questions you asked him while growing up? I think so. I, I think if you asked him, he would say probably no. But <laughs> from my perspective, he just seemed to always, always know. And I always ask myself, like, how am I going to be this person for someone that just knows everything? But luckily now we have Google and YouTube. You can just go on your phone and be like, what is the answer to this question? You know, sometimes I feel that um, I try not to do that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes if my kid asking me some question that I don't know an answer for, I'm like, yeah, 11 years old, go Google it. Yes, yes. And I also feel like it's, you know, it's not that I always have this two sides of a coin. From mm -hmm. one side, I understand that he needs to know how to use Google, how to use ChatGPT, how to find information, how to deal with it. And the second, like, but he's asking me. Mm -hmm. He won't ask me in 10 years. So maybe I should know that. So how did it feel growing up? and having answers to every question. Mm -hmm. You know, I think because they're both, they're both very intelligent people. And I think part of what you're describing is also teaching someone the skill to learn for themselves. And when I mentioned, for example, that my father is very much like a teacher or a philosopher, that's his approach. Like mm -hmm. I will get an answer, but I'll also get an explanation and um, the interest to want to learn more by myself to look it up. And so I think that's something that they were both very good at. It's if you have a question and you don't know the answer, you have the resources to find the answer and you should never like leave a situation not knowing, like not learning something. And how do you learn nowadays? So many ways. Um, I learn through people. I learn through conversations um, on the TV, online, on my phone. Um, I'm very much, um, I might get one interest and then I'll research it very deeply and then I'll move on to the next. Um, so it's one of those things where I feel that I, I'm okay at a lot of things. I might not be an expert at one or two things, but I do feel like I can figure out most things. Yeah, I feel like it's a good skill when you just know just enough information on a topic. Mm -hmm. And then if you need to continue, you can always find it. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you don't know, then you get stuck and you freeze and you can't move forward. And it's also good to have some people, you know, who you can ask. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And let's move to yourself. Tell me a little about your childhood. So from what age do you remember yourself? Oh, this is actually a topic that fascinates me because when you're a child, there's memories that you think are your memories, but mm. they're actually stories that your family told you about yourself. Yeah. And I have a lot of those memories where I think it's me remembering, but I think I actually just created the memory um so I don't I I honestly don't know if they're real but one of the earliest memories I have is I remember walking in snow and that would have been when I was very very young because we temporarily lived in the United States in a place where it snowed 
Mm -hmm. I also remember being in some type of school and being on a tricycle and having a friend. So it could have been kindergarten. I could have been five or four or six. And then there's the memories of um, being in Mexico and I think probably being older around six, seven or eight that are, I think, more of my memories. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just fascinating even thinking and of like when when do babies and when do children start to really form those memories? And what that time was like for you? Um, I loved my childhood. I, I grew up in Mexico and I had a very strong family unit. You know, I have deep memories of celebrating holidays with my cousins, with my aunts, with my uncles, and being in very long road trips where we would be in a car, all of us squished together and just driving for eight, 10 hours. And all you would see is just the road and some cacti, beautiful mountains and rocks. Um, So I think I, I remember a lot of love being together with people and Yeah, I think, yeah, that's honestly what I remember. I think my my childhood in Mexico was um, a really beautiful and an amazing time. And why did you move to the U.S.? We moved here when we thought it was actually going to be a temporary move. And we moved mm-hmm. because one of my parents got a job over here in the United States. And then circumstances with one of my younger siblings Um, the way that they were born and just the type of care that they needed made us want to stay longer in the U.S. and have mm. this type of care with the doctors. Um, and then that eventually ended up us staying here much longer. I went through the process of being a resident and getting my citizenship. And I still live here while um, most of my family lives in Mexico. But luckily, I'm I'm here with my siblings and um It's very, it's very interesting. I think when you have to move somewhere to a new country and make an own life of yourself to sometimes feel like you're in between, you're half this, you're half that. And a really big part of, I think my most recent like self-awareness and coming to my own is realizing that you're not half of anything. You're actually both of those things. You're all of those things. And so the thought that you are half anything makes you feel smaller and broken and like you're mm-hmm. not whole. Mm-hmm. So really starting to look at like, these are just experiences that I've had. This is just, I'm a whole person with these different experiences. Just twice a person. Twice a person. <laughs> yeah, you know, the saying that, um, I don't know who said that, but as many languages, you know, as many times you are a human. Mm, that's beautiful. So it's something like it's, it's something that I can hear from what you are talking about. Mm-hmm. And you're learning more languages, so you're even more. <laughs> it's you know, it's so it's so nice when you can talk to person in their native language because mm-hmm. you know, even though we're speaking English right now, but still like for me, like it's definitely not my native and I, I'm not living in the US and I'm not using it like I'm using it on a daily basis, but Mm-hmm. Not that much. So for me, it's I, I still can't share all of my emotions and all of my thoughts and like to speak as easy as I can in my native language. So mm-hmm. I believe that talking to somebody in their native language is, you know, just one more kind of beauty of this personality. So you can even, you know, know more about people. Yeah. I wish I knew more languages. Um This, I feel like this often comes up as an icebreaker question, like what superpower would you have? And to me, what always comes to mind is like, I wish I knew all languages, whether they were still being used today or they were used thousands of years ago. I wish I could communicate with anyone because it's absolutely true what you said. I think there's there's a really special connection you can have when you are speaking someone's mother tongue and like native language. And it just brings up all those memories probably of like childhood and your family and things that you associate with warmth and love. Do you learn any additional languages now? 
No, I'm I'm so <laughs> embarrassed. Um, I really tried learning French when I was younger, and I could not uh, master the accent. <laughs> and I keep telling myself I'm going to learn Italian or Portuguese or something else, but I really haven't. Um, it's it's a pain point for me. I'm I'm ashamed to say it. I wish I I was. I need to be inspired by you and just start <laughs> learning and doing it every day. Just a little trick, one lesson mm-hmm. on Duolingo a day, like take up to five languages and it's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a super slow process and like, mm-hmm. I don't know how many years you will need to be able at least to speak to somebody, but still, you know, it's something. Yeah, it's make, it makes progress. you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you wrote that I daydream about living in California a lot. Mm-hmm. Are you still daydreaming about leaving California? Wow, you really went back, far back. Um, I do sometimes, but not as often. And I think part of it came from feeling like a nomad. Like I did not really have a home. Like I was not really a part of one place or another. And... It's something where I think it really impacts you when you're younger and you move to a new country. You often get people saying like, where are you really from? Or like, are you mm. going back? Or you don't really belong here. You're not really this. And when your brain is being shaped at that age, you internalize it and you start thinking things like, I don't belong here. This isn't uh-huh. my home. I'll never have a home. And I think more recently, because I've been able to create a home for myself, Mm-hmm. This feels like more of a permanent situation, but I also know that life can take you anywhere. You never know what's going to happen. So I'm always open to the possibility of creating a new home, going somewhere else, going outside of California. And it's, it's a wonderful state to have ended up with uh, California. I've, have you been to California? No, Not it's, yet. It's very beautiful in the fact that if you want to go to the snow, you can mm-hmm. go there, a lake, mm-hmm. a river, a desert. There, It feels like you have your own world within a state, yeah. uh, but the world is so much bigger than the United States. It's so much bigger than the continent um, that I'm in. Um, so I think there's always just that that need to explore and be new places. But it still feels nice to have all these things near mm-hmm. you. It, it, it reminds me of the world of Zelda because you also have like everything yes. in there. <laughs> and you can you easily travel uses. to every part. Yeah, I wish I could travel as, as easily as uh, they can do in that game. Just like warp to different locations. <laughs> and if you could live anywhere in the world, like if you could take your relatives your friends Mm -hmm. your house your dog and just move like in zelda Mm -hmm. what 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 the place would it be because i had not seen as much of the world as i want to see i don't think i have the my final answer right now but i do think that Moving either to a place that's English speaking or Spanish speaking would be a great option. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had this moment where I go to certain cities, like um, there were somewhere like in Argentina and in Spain when I was in Barcelona, and I thought I could live here. I could live here. But I think it's always a, you have those fleeting thoughts as a tourist, but then actually living somewhere is much, much different. Um, so to to be determined, I'll get back to you if there's if I find one magical spot where I would move <laughs> all of us. Got it, deal. And uh, you are bilingual, so you're speaking English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you feel about each of languages? I feel that. This is my impression, my perception. I think that Spanish is a warmer language. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more warmth and love and passion. And I think English is 
an ex an expressive language, if that makes sense. I think um, one of the examples in which I see this, and it could be more about the the type of songs that get created or the experiences, but I think when I think of a romantic song, a song that I want to look at or I want to hear when I'm in that mood, mm -hmm. it's always Spanish music. Mm. It's not music in English. And I think there's just something um, about the culture that also gets intertwined with languages that makes me think that there's those differences between the two. I'm asking this because I've heard, I, I never read this book, but I know there is, there is a book which, mm -hmm. uh, in which there are a lot of words from different languages. And in some languages, there is one word that explains like, I don't know, the right. whole paragraph of feelings, of emotions. Mm -hmm. and, it, and I, I'm curious just about your experience and yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. I think that book probably has good examples where I know there's a language and I forget the language. So if anyone listening in knows it, please don't judge me. <laughs> But there's, you know, people that live in, in the snow where it's always snowing have mm -hmm. more words to describe the type of snow that we yeah, might yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's just, um, just from like a language anthropology perspective too, it's so interesting to figure out like how we have come up with languages and how to describe the world around us you know it just you just reminded me that Ilker shared it with me that when he <laughs> lived in Manchester they had like so many different ways of uh explaining the weather mm. and uh also the beer <laughs> <laughs> the beer of course <laughs> so yeah I, I totally get what you're talking about and How often do you use WTF, WTF, WTF mantra while meditating? <laughs> um, not too often, likely, but um, <laughs> sometimes there's some, some scenarios that come up. <laughs> so as long as you can focus on a word and an emotion and just um, push through it, I think it's helpful meditation, helpful mantra. <laughs> When will you open your art gallery coffee shop? Oh, the dream, the dream. Oh, I hope someday. Uh, it's one of those ideas that always seems like a dream to me and something that I would love to do. And I, you know, it's interesting being in the United States. I don't know how many other countries have this sort of mentality and you can definitely share with me Uh, the work culture from your your country but in the U.S. it's very much if you love what you do like you'll never work a day of your life and mm -hmm. everyone asks what do you do for a job what's your title it's very work uh, centered mm -hmm. and I found that that's not who I am um, I think for a really long time it was sort of pushed onto me that you found happiness and joy through your job and what it is that you do. But I think it's just sort of like a trap from society and just like the culture of like making sure that you're a worker bee. Mm. And so when I think of this dream, it's more of like, if I had all the money in the world, if I was comfortable and if I was just at peace, like what could I do that I would find fulfillment in? That's not necessarily uh, about my title or what I do, but just something that I enjoy to do. And I think part of it was that, you know, I, lo I love coffee. I think I probably mm. had coffee the first time when I was very, very young. I shouldn't share the age because I know a lot of people have negative feelings about giving children caffeine, <laughs> but I eventually became a bar barista. So I know how to make coffee and I just mm. love art. I love designing and sketching and illustrating. So it's like mixing those two interests into a concept of work and something to do. So basically you have everything you need to start this coffee shop, you know? <laughs> so it could be next year. <laughs> okay, got it. Uh, It's hard to compete with Starbucks though. <laughs> I had, uh, once again, I don't remember who exactly it was. Mo maybe it was even Peter. Mm -hmm. And he told me that in Australia, there is only one Starbucks. Oh, wow. And they have a lot of coffees, like small coffee mm -hmm. shops. And they, because they really love coffee and like a lot of 
people doing it different ways. So, yeah, I believe, you know, like art coffee shop can definitely compete with Starbucks. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to go to Australia. I actually, um, I didn't get to go to too many places in Australia, but where I did go, they had excellent food, excellent coffee. But I'm so afraid of all the animals that can kill you just by going outside. <laughs> like, have you seen the worms and the snakes and the spiders? I'm like, I can't. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just, <laughs> just thinking about those spiders. No, thank you. No. <laughs> by the way, do, are you afraid of spiders? Um, I just don't want them in my house. I, mm. I don't run away screaming, but I just don't want them in my house. And I think they're actually super helpful like there's some that there's one spider in the corner by my kitchen outside that I'll, i've been looking at for the past couple of months and i'm just like you do your job keep eating those flies but stay in that corner yeah exactly i totally i totally feel it because i have the same relationships with spiders so i love watching them from mm -hmm. distance and even the bigger they are the better but just as long as they far away from me Yes, yes. Like, as long as they're doing their job and not trying to uh, be friends with me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so talking about um, um, this culture workout for Ukraine, I believe it's the same. So mm -hmm. it's all about, you know, making money, making money, making money, and then maybe leave if you're good mm. enough in making money. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I love the saying from Haruki Murakami, who told that with money, I can buy time to write. Mm. So I believe that many people are thinking that way. So if I had money, I could do something. But it's also really very different, you know, because I believe that if you have really passion for something, mm -hmm. you will definitely have money. Yes, because people will feel it, and it's just it's it's hard to hide the passion. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but anyway, where is your love of art from? Oh, great question. I think thinking back to you know we were talking about childhood and growing up, every place that I lived in, whether it was an apartment or a house. My parents always had artwork in every wall. Um, mm. I remember sometimes friends would come over and they would make some type of comment like, it feels like an art gallery, like a museum in here, uh, mm. but not in the cold way, just in the way that there's always a lot of artwork. Mm. And I think growing up in that environment really inspired me to see it. You know, if you see it, you kind of believe it and you think you can do it. And I actually give a lot of credit to my mother, who I remember when we first, um, when we moved here, there was a school that had um, art classes. And she, I forget what exactly happened. I don't know if it was, I came in the middle of the semester or the class was more advanced and they had requirements to start at level one. And she was, uh, it goes back to her never giving up, like challenging yourself. She said, no, like she needs to be in this class. You need to let her in. You need to let her in. And she would keep uh, knocking on their doors, keep asking. And eventually I got into that art class. And um, at that school, I ended up winning an award for, um, I think it was like the, the best artist or like the best mm. artwork of the graduating class. And I think she those things combined where it was something that I was in my environment. I had curiosity for, we had conversations about artists and different periods of time and the artwork that got created through it. And also the support of saying like, this is something you're good at and you should keep doing, just keep trying. Uh, got me interested. Hmm. How come you are not an artist? I... <laughs> I think I, I'm not an artist by profession, but I still consider myself an artist as as a hobby. Um, mm. I think it's something that I still enjoy to do. And perhaps I'm not selling the things that I create, but I find value in them. And I think it's actually been one of those things where 
I think failure is very tricky, especially if you have a problem with starting something new or trying something, but you won't do it because you're afraid of failure. And there was a period of time in which I felt that way about the the concept of like creating something, of drawing or painting, where I felt like if it's not perfect, I, mm. I can't show it, I can't do it. And it stopped me for a while, but now it's become more of a, if this is for me, like who cares? Like who, it's just for me, like just do it. But why do you keep it only for yourself? I think it because it is, because it is for me. It's one of the things that I don't create for other people. And I mm. think one of the things in our profession is that so much of what we do is for other people. We're always mm -hmm. thinking of how this one person feels or how this one experience is built. And this is something that I can keep to myself that's truly for me. But maybe I'll share, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that sometime, someday you will share because, you know, community builders just share yeah. everything. <laughs> <laughs> Why is staring at yourself on video calls is a pan punishment in one of Dante's hell circles? <laughs> uh, that's, that's like my type of humor. <laughs> um, where I always I exaggerate a little bit just for just for the laugh for the humor um, yeah I think it's just one of those things where especially during the pandemic and we all moved to video calls it felt very painful to not have physical closeness to people being able to interact and when you're on zoom hmm. unless you turn off this feature you're <laughs> looking at yourself and the faces that you're making instead of truly focusing on the other the other individual and it just felt like a like a punishment like why are we why are you forcing me to look at myself yeah and do you turn off the self you on the I do. Yeah. Actually, for our conversation right now, I'm purely just looking at you. There's instances, of course, like if you're recording a, a presentation or if we're doing a webinar for community members, I am looking at myself because I think it's important to make sure I'm smiling and it looks like I'm paying attention. <laughs> um, like for, yeah, <laughs> I am paying attention, but I just want to make sure it looks like it. Um, but yeah, this one, I I I think having that turned off is much better for connecting. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, when I discovered that you can really turn off your self-view, mm -hmm. it's changed so much. Because when you have this camera, you're always thinking like, how am I look like? Is everything okay behind? How should I move to this yeah. point or this? And when you are not doing that, like, I'm okay. I'm who I am. And like, yeah. I'm totally... Yeah, it, it feels like more real life conversation. It does. It's hard too, because I think we we judge we judge each other so much for the way that we look, the way that we talk, what's in our background. And when you really get down to it, it's like, why does it matter? Like why why are we doing this as people when we we know that at the core we're just people who are trying our best to navigate life? Like, why do I care? what's in your bookshelf or like what brand you have of something or if your hair is sticking up a little bit like it doesn't really matter yeah that's it's you know it's it's a part i i just had this conversation with peter earlier today and we were talking a lot about um uh, the perfection of being imperfect mm -hmm. and uh, i also read this book uh liam ladenova shared it on linkedin wabi sabi and it was like the perfect way of being imperfect. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I need. You know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> like you can't be perfect. Like anything except for nature is not perfect. Mm. So yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you on at this point. And what do they share in that concept? Because it's not about faking being imperfect, right? Like there's a, are there recommendations for how to perfectly be imperfect? It's about, I would say, I'm like 25% into this book <laughs> right now. And I believe at least how I feel about that, that it's more about understanding that 
everyone is imperfect and mm-hmm. yourself you yourself is imperfect and it's okay to be imperfect because mm. if you mm-hmm. were perfect you won't be yourself and you know i believe that exactly this imperfection that everyone has that's what drives people to you because mm-hmm. they see something you know some some people may love your imperfections even though you might hate it so mm-hmm. why why care just yeah. be yourself i am who i am and you know i always say this uh thing i learned from the lion chocolate advertisement that if you forgive me my imperfection i'll forgive yours mm-hmm. so and it works because if we are not trying to judge others and to find others to be perfect why should we judge ourselves yeah But yeah, definitely, if we judge others, like, for sure, we have to judge ourselves, too. Yes. But a lot of people that judge others don't judge themselves, are very critical of themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful thing, though, I think, being, being seen for who you are and someone loving what you think are your imperfections. I think that, again, I feel like the conversation just keeps going to people and community. It's like that sense of, feeling accepted and feeling like you belong somewhere and part of that is someone seeing your vulnerable side those imperfections it's a it's a very special thing and also sharing a vulnerable side a mm-hmm. vulnerable side is at one point is very hard mm-hmm. and on the other side it's exactly what allows to make these connections and build these relationships so yeah yeah it's so hard to be vulnerable It is. <laughs> we were actually, um, I'm in this coaching group with a couple of other people who are in similar positions, but in different industries. And mm-hmm. we were going through a prompt that was asking you to think of uh, one of your best friends, just someone that you have a wonderful relationship with. And it was mm-hmm. very interesting that as people went around the room, they kept mentioning I was able to be vulnerable with this person. We were able to mm-hmm. have these conversations and it's, I find that at least in that small coaching group and with other people I speak to, it's like you form those friendships. Yes, because you have shared experiences and maybe you've known them for a long time, but you're close because you are comfortable and you are vulnerable with each other. And also because you allow each other to, Mm -hmm. you know, be yourself and mm-hmm. once again not judging yes and i feel like community as a profession makes its impact because i would say that i don't know 10 years ago i was rather jud- judgmental person mm-hmm. but now like there are like so many people like I don't know their stories. Why should I ever judge? You know, I don't, I've never walked in their shoes. How can I understand them if I don't know them? So, yeah. That's a very, it's a very powerful concept. And I think it's something where if we all learned to live our lives with more empathy and more understanding, a lot of the problems that we have as humankind would probably be solved. And I think it's very, it's something that I I respect you for doing where you are looking into the stories of individuals. And I know there's things like um, humans of New York. I'm not sure if you've ever seen their Facebook, but there's, yeah, where it's like you meet someone on the street, take a picture of them, like ask them about their questions. And it helps to humanize a person for them to see that this person isn't just, this name or what I see, Mm -hmm. but they have a whole story. Um, I think it's um, keep doing what you're doing because it's a very powerful connector. (laughs) Thank you very much. And also about uh, humans of New York, I believe it also helps to show the human side of New York itself. Yes. Yes. And, you know, that's where is the beauty. And Mm -hmm. I love, I love human stories. I love these connections because, you know, like I the best connections I've had where I always got them in some awkward situations where you, where I definitely was not myself, you know, mm-hmm. and 
and those people allowed me to be not myself mm -hmm. and yeah the rest is history <laughs> what's can you remember one of those awkward situations oh my god i can't believe i'm sharing it but yeah okay so it's it's really a very strange story to share mm -hmm. but <laughs> <laughs> i was in the toilet <laughs> in the bank mm -hmm. and i forgot to close the door <laughs> like you know to we've all been there and this person went like and opened <gasps> and closed it. <laughs> but then we were saying hi hello everyone every day to each other every day then we lived in the same uh we found out that we are living in the same place and well, oh, wow. when we were walking with our dogs we met and we had conversations so we sent our each other like um uh, happy new year and happy birthday all the stuff so uh, we were not super friends <laughs> but after this craziest situation i don't know how but we kind of become rather mm -hmm. good kind of not colleagues but you know we started to kind of care about it so mm -hmm. I, I don't know even how to explain it but that's exactly how our relationship started it was so weird <laughs> It could have gone the other way too, right? Like they could have chosen to always ignore you if they passed you, but it just became a, I, I've, I've seen you, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, but yeah. So, and yeah, I believe that this moment, you know, allows you to to laugh. At least you mm -hmm. can always laugh, reminding your, your first meet or how things went. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> And you know, Sophia, I really wish to have the sky as the limit to our conversation, but time is the limit. So let's jump to the rapid fire questions. Okay, let's do it. Switch or book? Book. Japan or India? Japan, because I have not been there. I want to go. Usually I ask two questions of this kind, but for you, I will ask the third one, English or Spanish? Spanish. What are your favorite car and song? Car and song? Like color. car that I drive? Oh, color. Um, color. Uh, it's always changing. It's been yellow, purple, and red. What is it for you right now? <laughs> uh... I don't have one right now. Got it. And song? <laughs> song. Um, I can't pick just one, uh, but I really love this artist named Seven Lions. You already told me what superpower would you have if you were a superhero, <laughs> so I won't ask you this question. So who do you learn from in the community world? Name just one person. Hmm. I've learned from a lot of people, but because you're making me pick one person, um, I've learned a lot from Polly Firestone. And name two people who I should definitely invite to a community life conversation. Ooh. I had a wonderful conversation with someone who attended a community rebellion. Her name is Isabel Ruiz. Ruiz. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think she works at Muse, if I remember. And someone I don't know, but they work at a company I used to. Her name is Daniela Galmes. She's a customer success community manager, if I remember right. Got it. Is there one question that I definitely should have asked you, but didn't? No, I think you, you did your research. I'm very impressed. I think we covered a lot of ground together. And there are a lot of questions I didn't ask you, but... Anyway, you know, it's, it's, it's just the beginning of the volume, too. So one day, one <laughs> exactly. day we'll continue. We'll continue. <laughs> we, we started our conversation on Community Rebellion Conference, and we'll continue it <laughs> later on. And I, it was Holly Firestone who told me that I should reach out to you and talk to you. And oh. uh, it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And finally, I had this chance to meet you in person and talk to you and uh, kind of feel you as a person. And 
I clearly remember the moment that we were staying and eating uh, on this lunch break, and you were one of those people who I feel like I can tell anything. So you can, you just can do it, and you're allowed to be vulnerable, and you're allowed to have this deep conversations, and you're a very kind and nice person. So, and after this conversation, you just. I just understood that, yeah, that's exactly how I felt for the first time. It's even better. So thank you very much for sharing your stories. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That um, It's very kind of you and I appreciate it. And I'm so glad that we met in person. I think it was such a wonderful experience to be there and just to cross you know, borders that we wouldn't have gone into in the virtual sense yeah. um, to make those connections. I'm very grateful to know you. And yeah, thank you very much and see you in the community world. See you. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, hit the like button or five stars and share it with your friend. That's it. We're done. See you in the next episode.